0: Hello everybody, it is so nice to be with you, I'm Jody. for those of you that haven't met me before and I wish I had time to have met you all beforehand, but I've chatted with a few of you and um, this is amazing, what a great event, you guys are really blessed to be a part of a group that puts this on, I'm getting inspired for doing something with my ladies in Auckland as well, but um, I hope you guys have enjoyed your pampering so far and um, I'm keen to get my nails done, so hopefully I'll have time after I've shared to get those nails done. This, I've just been telling some of the ladies that I've been meeting, this is actually my first time this far north to Kaitaya. and um, <laughs> yeah, and I love it. It is such a beautiful spot in our country, and I can see why you guys live here. It is absolutely gorgeous, and um, We have grandparents in Kerikeri, and our granddad is 97 years old, and our nana is going to be 90 next year, so it was good to pop in on them on the way and see how they're doing. They're getting there, they're they're getting around with their walkers, and (laughs) they're having a good time. Um, And I, uh, growing up, I am an only child. I didn't have any brothers or sisters, so I didn't really um, understand the whole sibling rivalry or getting up to mischief. Um, with your brothers and sisters, but now that I have two kids of my own, I'm starting to get a bit more appreciation for it. But anyway, I heard of these two siblings, these two boys, and um, these two boys were eight and ten, and they used to get up to all sorts of mischief. They were always getting into trouble, and if there was any trouble in their town, it was usually involving these two kids, these two boys. So their mum, she knew about this, and she heard about a pastor, preacher, that was coming through town, and apparently he was really good at disciplining. So she went and saw this preacher and she said to him, hey, can you have a chat to my boys and see if you can, you know, do something with them? And the preacher agreed. He said, okay, but I want to see them one at a time. So she was like, yep, sure, that's fine. So the next day she sent off the eight-year-old boy and um, he, he went into the preacher's office and the preacher sat him down and he looked at him and he said to the boy, do you know where God is, son? And the boy sort of just looked at him and his mouth dropped open, and he didn't say anything. So the preacher said, a little bit more sterner this time, he said, where is God? And the boy just... He didn't say anything. And so the preacher, he shook his finger. He said, where is God? And the little boy was so scared, he screamed. He ran all the way home. He ran into his house. He he went into his closet. He slammed the door. And his brother came to find out what had happened. So he opens the door to the closet. And the little boy, the eight-year-old, is gasping. the, The older brother said to the little boy, what happened? And the little boy, gasping with breath, he said to his brother, we're in big trouble this time. God is missing, and they think, we did it. (laughs) I love that story. I could just imagine that little boy thinking, oh, my goodness, God is missing, and we're responsible. Well, I got good news tonight. God is not missing. He is here. But I bet those little boys never had any trouble when that preacher was in town. I reckon they did everything he said. (laughs) So as I said, I'm a mother of two. And um, they're with me actually. We came up as a family, and so they're going to be at church tomorrow. If you guys are here, you'll get to see them. Um, Zach, he's my eldest. He's six, and he's really loud, and he's really outgoing and social. And um, if you see him tomorrow, he'll love to have a big chat. He's so excited to be here, so excited. He's really into Kapahaka. He does it at school, and he loves it because it's his opportunity to be as loud as he wants and um, you know express himself. And he really fits in. My little girl Emma, she's four and um, she's social too but she takes a little bit longer to warm up but she's really um, she's really girly girly, you know, she loves her pretty dresses she would love tonight, she loves getting her nails done, she loves um, doing your hair and all that kind of girly stuff, she's lots of fun, she's very arty and enjoys um, lots of crafty stuff and loves just hanging out at home and helping me fold the washing or try to and help me cook and that kind of thing. And um, so they're my two kids, and then I have a husband, his name is Sam, some of you may have met him before, he's been up here a couple of times, and um, we've been married for 13 and a half years, and it's been quite a journey, and I thought I might share a little bit about that for a few minutes. So I knew Sam because when his fam- when he was 13, his family, he's one of five, um, they moved up from Blenheim, and they moved to Auckland, and they started coming to our church, and so I knew him, but um, I didn't really have anything to do with him because he was two and a half years older than me. And, I, I, you know, I wasn't really interested in him. I thought he was all right. I, I kind of thought he was a bit of a know-it-all, old, actually. I didn't really like him that much. Anyway, um, so life went on, and, and the years passed. And then... Um, One day when I was 19, we all went on a summer camp. There was about 50 of us young people. We went to Waiheke Island, actually, and um, it was loads of fun. And I don't know what happened on that camp, but something happened. Something happened, and I came back, and I'd fallen for this guy. And it was really weird because, you know, it was like one of those times when um, two people come together, but no one expects it, and everyone was like, what? You're with you're with her, you're with him, and it was kind of like that, because I, I mean, this isn't the reason, but, you know, I'd always planned to marry a tall, dark, handsome guy. (laughs) Sam, he's not tall, he's not dark. I think he's handsome though. I got number three. He's handsome. And um, so anyway, we came back and and we sort of snuck around for a bit. We started going out, but we stuck around because my dad was a senior pastor of our church and Sam sort of wanted to do it all proper. You know, he wanted to talk to my dad and tell him his intentions and all this. So it took him a while to work up the courage to um, get that meeting in place. And finally he did. He plucked up the courage and he and he went and saw my dad and I don't really know how it went. I don't know if it was amazing. But anyways, things progressed. And we started going out. We started dating. And, you know, for me, he was my knight in shining armour because... No one else had ever asked me out. No one else had, I mean, I'd been on a couple of dates, like I can count them on one hand, but they weren't, they didn't go anywhere. And that wasn't for lack of trying on my part. I mean, I tried a little bit hard, but it didn't work. So Sam was my hero because he actually asked. And so we started going out, and that was all good. It was okay. I I think I had a bit of a steep learning curve because being an only child. For me, it was the first time that I actually had to consider someone else's feelings other than my own, and um, it's actually quite hard, and so we we had a bit of ups and downs, but we progressed, and then after about a year, he popped the question, and I said yes, and then um, a year later, we got married. I was 21, he was 23. And you know, I thought this is awesome. I'm getting married, and and the fairy tale is beginning, and it's going to be happily ever after. How many of you are married in this place? How many of you know it ain't happily ever after? I don't know what happened to the happily, but it disappeared real quick, (laughs) real quick. So, I'm married to this guy, and honestly, those three years were the hardest years of my life. Those first three years. I don't remember crying as much as I cried in those early years. It was very traumatic for me. And I couldn't understand what was going on. I, I you know, I, I remember during that time, I sort of said to God, God, I've, I prayed about this. You know, I asked you to show me the right guy to marry, and I thought I was doing the right thing, and I didn't really know what had happened. Um, I just felt like he—he he, we were on different tracks, you know. He wasn't meeting my needs. He wasn't meeting my expectations. He wasn't giving me the love I needed. And, and he needed to change. And I told God that. I said, God, come on. You know, this guy needs to get sorted. He needs to get changed because I'm miserable. He's miserable. Everyone's miserable. And... Um, you know, it was funny, I remember during those early years, and it seems kind of trivial, but when you're in it, it's not. It was really big for me. And I remember I used to listen to the CD that I had, and it was this guy, and, and he used to just, um, it had music in the background, and he would read verses from the Bible, and I would play it, and I would just listen to it, and it would be like, I would just feel this peace come over me. And God, I knew that God was with me. I didn't know what He was doing, but I knew that He was with me. So all of this is going on, and then one day, this is about three and a half years in, oh, and and by the way, so during this time, you know how when you get married, you're supposed to leave and cleave, right? You're supposed to leave your parents and cleave to your husband. I think I missed that part. I think it took me about three years to actually kind of leave cleave. I used to ring my parents every day, and I used to ask them for advice, and I used to talk to them about everything, and and I think... I was getting what I needed from them and not from my husband. And that did cost me. It cost me quite dearly, actually. Um, but anyway, so, so then one day, um, I, I had this massive revelation. And I realized that all this time I was thinking that Sam needed to change, that he was a problem, that things weren't working out because of him. And then I realized it wasn't him. It was me. I had the problems, I had the insecurities, I had the issues, I had the wrong expectations, I was making the both of us really miserable, and you know what, it actually knocked me for six, like it was, I just, it was really quite hard, it was a hard pill to swallow, um, to realise that all this time I thought he was a problem and it was actually me, and um I'm just thankful he actually stuck with me because I <laughs> I look back at those early years and it makes me cringe. I think, oh my goodness, how did he stick he how did he stay you know with me but he did, thank goodness and um You know, from that time on, from that realisation, things have dramatically improved. Thank goodness. Good news. Things have improved. (laughs) We are not perfect, and we don't have the perfect marriage by a long stretch. We're still really different, and we have some really good discussions. (laughs) But, um, you know, I can honestly say it's been the best thing. And, you know, it was funny, because I thought that God was trying to tear me apart. But when I look back, I realised that God was actually trying to mend me. He was trying to fix me. He was making me the person that I needed to be. And I needed a Sam in my life to work that change and to help me to be who God wanted me to be. So I'm so thankful that God brought me to that place. I'm so thankful that God gave me a good man. And I'm so thankful that we're here today to talk about it. And during that time... There was three verses in the Bible that I really held on to and that I love and I still love today. And I want to share them with you because they might help you. The first one is Hebrews 3:13, verse 5. And it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's talking about Jesus. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. The second one is 1 Peter 5:7. It says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. And I love that, and I used to pray that. I used to say, God, you know what I'm going through. I give it to you, and I know that you're here, and I know that you care. And the last one, I'm sure you know it, is Romans 8, 28. And it says, and we know that in all things, God works all things together for good to those who love him. And, you know, that was true for me. He worked my marriage for good. It started off pretty bad, but he turned it around, and he worked it for good. And I love those, I love those verses. I love the Bible. I love reading it. And I love reading about the life of Jesus and seeing him, you know, just spend his life loving people and healing people and touching those that no one else would go near. Jesus loved the unlovable. He reached anybody and everybody. And there's no one like him and there never will be. And I just love that so much. And um, there is a story that I want to share with you. It's a passage in the Bible and it's found in Mark chapter 9. And I'm just going to read it and I just want to share a couple of thoughts from it. It's a really cool story. In this story, there's two main characters. There's a guy called Jairus and he's like a, a leader in that town. And then there's an unnamed woman, and she's got this crippling sickness. These two people are both in desperate need of a miracle. So here it goes. When Jesus had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, there was a large crowd that gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, and he said, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she, so she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. And I love that point right there that whenever we ask God to come with us, whenever we have a need, Jesus will come with us. He doesn't leave us, He doesn't forsake us, He comes with us. So, anyway, Jesus, he went with this guy. And there was a large crowd that followed and pressed around him. And in that crowd, there was a woman, and she had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And I don't know about you, but that's got to be pretty awful. And um, she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She spent all she had, but instead of getting better, she actually grew worse. And so when she heard about Jesus, it says she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, then I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from all her suffering. And I just think that must have been an amazing moment. You know, she was suddenly, instantly healed. And it said, the Bible says at once Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. And so he looked in the crowd and he said, who was it that touched me? And the disciples sort of said to him, come on, God, you know, come on, Jesus, there's so many people around. How can you say who touched you? But he looked for this woman and he found her and he, he asked her what happened. And she didn't want to admit to him that she was the one that touched her, but eventually she did. And she told Jesus what had happened. And... um. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. And, you know, I love that that moment in time because this woman, she'd lived with this condition of blood flowing from her body for 12 years. And in that process, she'd lost everything because a woman like that was considered an outcast. If she was married, she would have had to divorce her husband because of that sickness. She'd lost all her money because of the doctor's bills that she had to pay. And so she was desperate. And in that desperation, she didn't just reach out for God. She didn't just bump into him accidentally. But she purposefully touched him she touched him and and then he turned around and not only did he heal her but he called her daughter and there's nowhere else that we read of Jesus calling someone daughter And so I think it's a beautiful moment. It would have been an amazing moment for her to hear that she was his daughter, that not only was she healed, but she was loved, she was accepted, and she could walk out of there with her head held high and being set free. And it's just an amazing picture. And, you know, maybe for some of you guys tonight, that's a word that you can take hold of, because Jesus says to each one of us that we're his daughter and it doesn't matter where we come from or who we are. He calls us his daughter. And no matter what other people call us, he says, you are my precious girl. You're my daughter. I love you. I care for you. I think you're incredible. And I want to watch out for you. And I want to heal your brokenness. And I want to do something in your life. And maybe that's a word for you tonight. So I want you to take a hold of that. Remember that Jesus calls you daughter. And he always calls us daughter, no matter what we go through and what we do. He calls us his daughter. So anyway, at this time, so she got healed and that was amazing. But then poor old Jairus, he's still there. And as Jesus is speaking to this woman, some of the people came from the house of Jairus and they said to him, your daughter is dead. And so... He, you know, poor Jairus, here he was. He was waiting for Jesus to come and heal his little girl. And Jesus gets weighed laid. And I imagine that Jairus, he was sweating it out every minute that Jesus was spending with this woman was a minute where his daughter's life was being sucked out of her. And um, it must have tortured him to see Jesus taking the time out to minister to this lady. And you know what? God is never slow and he's never missing. But sometimes it does feel that way, doesn't it? So anyway, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. You know, that's a pretty big ask. You've just been told that your daughter is dead. And Jesus says, no, 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 just believe. And I'm guessing Jairus probably thought, oh, man. But what choice did he have? He didn't have any other options. So they went, and he went with Jesus. And it says, Jesus didn't let anyone else follow him except for Peter, James, and John. And when they came home to, to Jairus' house, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And so he went in and he said to them, What's all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. But after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. He went to the child and he took her by her hand and he said, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the little girl stood up and she began to walk around. And she was 12 years old and they were all astonished, the Bible says. Do you know what I love about that story? We've got two desperate people here two amazing miracles. Jesus healed them both. He healed the woman that was an outcast, that was, no one wanted to be near her. She was a nobody with a disease and he healed her. And he also healed the little girl whose dad was a ruler, probably a really important, well-known guy. Because to Jesus, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter about rank. It doesn't matter about race. It doesn't matter about background. He heals and he loves each and every person. And I love that. And I think it's really interesting that, that that lady with the issue of blood, she had that disease for 12 years and the daughter that was healed was 12 years old. And so I just want, want you to, sort of see from that story just the love of Jesus and come back to those three verses that Jesus never leaves us, never forsakes us. He cares for us and He works things for our good. And I just want to finish with a story real quick. It's a beautiful story about a guy called Larry. Larry was a young man at university. He didn't have very much going for him. He was short. He was overweight. He had bad pimples, he talked with a lisp, he dressed a bit strange, he was unwashed, unkempt, barefoot, here all over the place. He had no luck with girls and um, his lecturer at a university that he went to said that he'd never come across a kid with such low self-esteem and so much shame and um, self-hatred. Well, one Christmas, Larry went back home for the holidays and at home, he was his usual unwashed, messy self, having his normal squabbles with his family. The night before he left, he said to his father, I've got to go back tomorrow. So then his father decided that he'd go with him to the airport. And the next morning, the father and son left at 6am and they went to the bus together, not talking much. And they got off and, and stood at the corner where Larry had to wait for the bus to take him to the airport. And as they were waiting, six of Larry's father's friends, his workmates, they came along. And as they walked past, they loudly made really degrading comments about Larry. They said things like, oink, oink, look at that fat pig, lazy hippie. If he was my kid, I'd be so embarrassed I'd lock him in the basement. As this brutal attack went on, Larry's father reached out and kissed Larry on both cheeks. He hugged him and he said, Larry, if your mother and I live to be 150 years old, it won't be long enough to thank God for the fact that he gave us to you, he gave you to us. I'm so proud that you're my son. Isn't that an amazing dad? Well, after that incident, Larry went back to university and he began to straighten himself out. He he went to speech therapy and he corrected his lisp. He became president of a group at university. He started dating a nice girl. He gave his life to God and he ended up serving God full time later on. The lecturer who knew Larry said there was no words that could describe the change in him. And what caused that change to happen? It was love. It was his father's loving affirmation, his father's unconditional love. He saw the good in Larry that Larry couldn't see in himself. And his father had the courage to tell him, which can't have been easy in front of his workmates. But in doing that, he turned his son's life around. And I love that. And you know what? Just like Larry's dad said how proud he was of his son, our heavenly Father God says how proud he is of each one of us. Just like he loved that that. Um, woman who had the disease, just like he loved me when I was a mess during those early years of marriage and he was still with me. He loves and cares for each one of you guys here tonight. And I don't know what you guys are going through. I don't know what your life is like, but I do want to say that God loves you, that God cares for you, that he will never leave or forsake you, and that somehow, some way, even in the midst of a bunch of bad, something good will come of it Because when God is in the mix, He always turns things around for good. And, um, you know, another thing that really does help us when we're really going through difficult times is nights like tonight, isn't it? Is having an awesome bunch of women around you. Or of being part of a great community of friends. Or being part of a church. And I hope that you guys will come tomorrow. I'm going to be sharing again tomorrow. And I'd love to see you guys there. Um, But... Just before we finish, I wonder if I could just pray for you all. Would that be all right? All right, I'm just gonna pray. Lord, I just thank you for these beautiful women here. I thank you, God, that you've placed them in this beautiful part of our country. And God, tonight, I just pray for each one of them, no matter what they're going through, no matter what they're feeling at this time, that your love would be what they walk out of this place with. I pray that every person would feel your touch, would feel that you love them, that you accept them, that you call them daughter, and that they can walk out of here with their head held high. God, I pray that you would be so real in this place tonight. You know what? Just in this moment, I just want to pray a prayer. And if you don't know God and um, you've come here tonight and something's touched you and you want to, then I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer after me. You can just do it real quietly in your head. You don't have to say it out loud, but I'm going to say it. And if you want to, if you mean it in your heart, would you pray this prayer with me? Just say this. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you forgive me. And right now, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, if you were here tonight and you did pray that prayer, I would love to meet with you at the end. Please come and find me. I'd love to give you a Bible if you haven't got one and just get to know you. And and please do join us tomorrow. I'd love to see you there. But I hope to talk to you guys um, just for the rest of the night as well. So enjoy the rest of the night. Thank you so much for listening and for letting me share with you tonight.